This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. One person said, when I die, I want to go peacefully like my grandfather did in his sleep not screaming and shouting like the passengers in the car he was driving. (laughs) A man named Philip of Macedon had a slave. That's what hundreds of years ago. And he gave this slave a standing order. The slave was to come into the king's chamber every morning, no matter what the king was doing, and was to say to him in a loud voice, Philip, remember that you must die. Now, most of us would probably agree that we don't need much of a reminder like this. We all know that we're going to live only a few years on this earth, and then we're going to die, all of us. But all of us have questions and some fears in our minds and our hearts about this matter of death and dying. And if there's anything the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to our need, if anywhere, it's right here. Many people have heard ministers stand before a grief-stricken family and read the words of Jesus as he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You remember these words were spoken to a group of Jesus' closest followers, those who were truly troubled in their hearts, to hear what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about dying. Now, it just doesn't make sense to think that Jesus would say to his disciples or to us that we should not be troubled unless he gave us a reason to have that troubled feeling removed. And that's exactly what Jesus did give to them and to us. He said that there was a place to which he was soon going, he called it the Father's house, but that he was coming back and be joined with us again so that we could all be together once again. During hundreds of years before Jesus came, The Old Testament Hebrews had very little idea uh, about life after death. They believed that when you died, you went to a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. That's a place of shades or shadows. This was not necessarily either good or bad. Unfortunately, when the King James translators came along across this word, they translated the word hell which means something entirely different to us in light of what Jesus taught us about hell. Now, as the years went by for those Old Testament Hebrews, and as the people grew in their experiences with God, they came to know God as a God not only of power, but also a God of love and justice. Then they began to explore the possibilities of some kind of meaningful life beyond the grave. You remember Job's question, if a man die, shall he live again? That's Job chapter 14, verse 14. As the years have passed since that age-old question, we have come now to know that there's no doubt about it. There's no if about the matter, either about our dying or about our life after this life is over. Now, this morning, for our thinking, I've chosen to bypass a lot of the philosophical, scientific, and secular reasons 
why many people claim to believe in life after death. I want us rather to center our attention on the Christian truths that we hold, truths upon which our faith is built. One person explained it this way, whenever I'm tempted to doubt the reality of life after death, I ask myself how God could have led me to live for eternal things only to let death annihilate everything. If God is dependable, he would not have placed a song of heaven in my heart unless there is a heaven. He would not have awakened me to an awareness of eternity if there's no eternity. As human beings, we will never be permitted to know what lies beyond death until we pass over into that new world. But we may believe that God is dependable and he will not let us down. When we look at the New Testament, we have strong evidence for our belief in life beyond this earthly existence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives death its proper perspective for the Christian. Paul said to the Corinthians, talking about death, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That's 1 Corinthians 15. You can almost feel him jeering, making fun of death, which has lost its power when Jesus conquered it in his resurrection. I have a preacher friend who spoke at his mother's funeral. And one of the things he said was, we'll spend the first 200 years in heaven laughing at death. I like that. In a later letter to the Corinthians, Paul speaks of our bodies as tabernacles. Now, a tabernacle was the equivalent of a pup tent. In our trip to the Holy Land, which we took several years ago, we saw these little tents everywhere out in the desert, inhabited by Bedouins, transient people. These were people who lived on the land, moving from place to place, where they could find grazing for their sheep and goats. They had no roots, no home. Our guide told us that one day they might be in one place, but the next day they would take down their tents and move on elsewhere. Their tents were easily put up and easily taken down. It was not a permanent home for them, only a temporary dwelling. Isn't it a beautiful thought to realize that when the Christian dies, we merely move from the temporary housing in a pup tent, that's the body, into a permanent mansion, that's heaven. Man, you just can't beat that real estate transaction, can you? The words of Paul to the Corinthians are so vivid and descriptive. I want to read those words for you in a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 9. This is that portion of scripture. We know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they'll be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not man-made. And we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. So we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, 
our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little bit of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions down here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spatial, spacious living conditions up ahead. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. You suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. Paul says that this transition is quick. In verse 8 of the King James Version, he speaks of being absent from the body, present with the Lord. If we could put it in the phrase of a modern teenager, we might say that the instant a Christian dies, he is eyeball to eyeball with God. Isn't that great? One of my favorite illustrations of this truth is one which I've often used at funeral services. The father of H.S. Laird lay dying. Throughout his life, this man had served the, his Lord in a wonderful way. One of the evidences of his faithfulness and his attractive living of the gospel of Christ was the fact that his son had also become a minister. As the father and son were talking together just before that father's death, they were able to share openly the fact that the earthly life of the father was soon to end. There was no need to hide behind words which spoke of death. And as the two of them talked one day, the son asked his father, Dad, how do you feel about this whole experience? Talking about dying. The father looked up at his son and with an eager anticipation of the real life which lay just one second beyond the end of his, this life, the old man thought about the rich glories that awaited him in heaven and he replied, how do I feel about it? Son, I feel just like a little boy on Christmas Eve. Now the only sad part about all of this is that it is not for everybody. Oh, it's available for all. And oh, how God yearns for everyone to have this eternal life apply to them. But this victory over death and the grave is only for those whose lives are in Christ, who have come to the surrender of their lives to the Lord. This is why Jesus died. John 3.16 puts it so well, and you know that verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth on Him that sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Did you notice that Jesus says that we pass from death unto life, not at the hour of our physical death, but at the time of our personal meeting with Jesus Christ? Once this battle is won, then the struggle with physical death is just a minor skirmish. 
But for the person who has not found Christ as personal Savior, death fills that person's life with terror, fear, anxiety, and dread. When my family and I went to Rome several years ago, we were taken to a little dungeon where it was said that the Apostle Paul was held prisoner while he was awaiting his death. I still remember how that was. You, you enter this dark dungeon by going down a few steps to a tiny room which has a dirt floor. We were told that when Paul was there, there were no steps to enter, only a hole in the ceiling through which the prisoner was thrown from the surface of the ground. Only a few rays of natural light could creep into that room through a narrow doorway. On the wall are chains like the one which held him prisoner. It was from this dark, wet dungeon that Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians. And in this letter, he described his spiritual struggle. Paul said he was ready to die because having had a foretaste of heaven, for him, death held no terror. Yet, he felt that for the sake of his Christian brothers, it would be better if somehow he might be spared. Listen to Paul's struggle in these unforgettable words. Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Here's what Paul said. For to me, living means opportunities for Christ. And dying, oh, well, that's better yet. But if living will give me more opportunities to win people to Christ, then I really don't know which is better, to live or die. Sometimes I want to live, and at other times I don't. For I long to go and be with Christ. Oh, how much happier for me than being here. But the fact is that I can be of more help to you by staying. Here we have a spiritual struggle of a man in Christ. That, what Paul was saying here was not some morbid death wish, for if he had been free, he would eagerly return to preaching the gospel. Nor was this a prayer of a person wishing to be set free from some dread disease. Rather, it was just the honest struggle of a man who had found his heaven and for whom death had lost its terror. In the year 125 A.D., a Greek by the name of Aristides wrote to one of his friends about this new religion called Christianity. He was trying to explain the reasons for Christianity's strange success. Here's a sentence from one of this Greek's letters. He said, If any righteous man among these Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. And they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving, as if he were setting out from one place to another place nearby. That's the words of Aristides. Oh, what a beautiful description of our Christian faith, which cannot really be touched by death. So we come back to our original thought, our question, how can we believe in life after death? For those who may be coldly intellectual, for those who may feel that everything has to be proved philosophically or scientifically, for those who will not admit the reality of faith as a means of finding truth, 
that person may be difficult to convince. But that same skeptic would also have trouble in many more areas of life. For example, if an unborn child could think mature thoughts like an older person, that child may have real trouble believing that he could possibly survive after that event that we call birth, physical birth. He lives without air in the womb of the mother. How can he live with air? He never saw light. How can he conceive of it? He's absolutely dependent upon the environment in which he finds himself. He cannot imagine himself living without it. You see, to an unborn child, the crisis of birth would seem like death. And so it is with us. For the Christian, that crisis which we call death is really birth. And all of this, this is a great truth. And it's possible because of one crucial event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's so well expressed in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4. Let me quote these. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. Can we believe in life after death? Oh, absolutely we can. Because He lives, we can live also. Oh God, we have no words to thank you for loving us as you did and giving us your son Jesus who came and lived and died but who was raised from death. And because He lives, we can live also. Help us, oh God, to remember that as Christians, we need have no fear of death. We don't want to die ideally, but don't want to leave loved ones behind, sad, but still for us individually when we die. Help us, Lord, to know that that's the greatest day of our life, to be with you, to be with Jesus, to be with other loved ones. So thank you to God for this beautiful truth of knowing that we can believe in life after death. All this we thank you for in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen.